Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Good luck to you. I know just the other day, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have have to do this. Not really, but in a way all over again, when I have to teach my daughter about it. And, and she's already, really are. she's already said, you, you have to do this every single month. <laughs> I'm like, yes, girl, I'm, I'm so sorry for your, but just enjoy these next, you know, whatever it is going to be five years before you have to deal with it. And some kids, I mean, I think my niece got her period at 11. Yeah, I know. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> I was 13 and and it, I felt like too much of a baby. I can't imagine being 11. I mean, some girls have get it at nine. Gotcha. Yeah. That is yeah. a real menage yeah. situation. So, okay, anyway, what's happening in the world? Is it cold? a brighter topic. It's freezing cold. I have, this is the time right. of year I begin to just wear my jacket all day long. But when we lived, I remember my first, my mom, of course, all the things she used to say, and I used to be like, shut up. But she'd be like, it's so expensive to cool and heat this big house. And I'd be like, ah, kiss my ass, turn the heat on, lady. And then when I moved into that house after they passed away, and Miles and I lived there, and I was like, Oh, no, 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 no. She was so right. All the things I said, I'm an asshole. We got the first heating bill. Our heating was worse because, I don't know, our heating system, oh, my God. I was used to $50 a month bills in our two-bedroom two apartment or even one-bedroom, right? At $50 max, right? This was $400, and I, I, like, I thought there was a mistake. I was like, oh, no, they must have oh, – oh, no, no. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, Miles, that's when I became my mother. And I was like, put on three sweaters. I don't give a fuck. Wait. So just completely going on a different direction. Are you close enough to the beach in Ventura that you can go there frequently? Yeah. We got, and I bought a bike, a little huffy bike at an auction. Uh, Yeah. We're eight blocks. So we can, we can bike to the ocean or walk. Yeah. It's, there's a, there's the one-on-one freeways right there. So you have to go over this little bridge, but like, um, yeah, no, we, that was one of the things I really wanted to be was by the ocean. Um, just, I feel better being by water. I feel like it's, it's a better vibe for me. I don't feel as, I don't know. There's something about as the, the great unraveling happens in this country in the world that I feel like water is even though you can't drink the fucking ocean water I don't know there's something that's soothing about being by the water maybe it's like if we can throw ourselves in there if the thing gets on fire I'll just throw I don't know it doesn't make any sense but it's just like a psychological need well water um, contains everything it contains life it contains death it contains fun it it contains danger you know it's all the things you know, I have a, I, I, I've been having an, an extra dog, Peaches. I don't know if you know. Yeah. So what's up with so Peaches? Peaches? Okay. So Peaches, so crazy. Peaches, um, I met Peaches' mom, panel about art. And then we realized we both had Frenchies. And then Talia was like, oh, you should take your crazy ass Frenchie to this guy because he'll help it, help it. And he and we did, and so they go to boarding and daycare together, and then she had to go to the East Coast because she's becoming a certified intimacy coordinator for sets, and so she had to do the train. Anyway, Peaches, you know what, Tina? It's just like children, opposite kind of dogs. 
Beatrice is literally right here and makes no noise, sleeps with her tongue out, and doesn't pee, poop, or throw up in the in inside. And Doris does all those things and is loud as fuck and would bark and be an asshole. So you, I guess it's like children in that you just, each child is different. Like each being is different on this planet. Like I'm like, well, why did I, how did I get Doris? Why why didn't I get a peach? And I'm like, no, no, because Doris is teaching me fucking lessons about letting go, not being such a fucking tight ass about having to fix, manage, and control everything, and also image management, and, like, people won't like me because my dog's an asshole. Is Peach is older than Doris, though? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a big... Oh, well, that's a big part of it. Peach just might have been like this when she was a baby. I I don't know, but all I know is that it's a different vibe, and it's also, like, super interesting to see my reaction of, like, oh, well, like, why didn't I get this kind of dog? And, like, you know... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How did I get, you know, and then I'm like, okay, you fucking paid for the dog. Shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, I have to work with myself and do some therapy and be like, listen, lady, it's just a dog. She's an amazing dog, but she's a dog. Like, stop. So I, what I'm saying is I can turn any little thing into a reason to hate myself, hate someone else, or feel sorry for myself or feel self-aggrandized about something like anything yeah. dog care dog care and also i think you know even though i hate it when people say things like this i think it is really true that you know doris needed to come into the world right. and she needed somebody who could manage her she needed somebody who could handle her right because she's not a, an easy dog no with you know she wouldn't have thrived in other people's houses right no, no, she would have been put out into yeah. the, right into the right. street. Um, so, and Miles is real. And my, you know, Miles says it's really interesting. He needed her so badly. Like all they do is hang out during the day and she really calms him down. When I step into yeah. the picture, she becomes a Tasmanian devil, which is not shocking, right? The whole right. thing is not shocking. It would just be the same with a kid. I just know it. And yeah. so he needed her. They sleep. He, she sleeps with his, her neck and his neck. It's a real scene over there, but, but so he needed her too. And he actually is better with her than I am in some ways. And so we balance each other out. The other thing is like, it just makes me see, like, I don't know how people raise other beings without a partner. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I, I, yeah. In fact, one of my kids has a friend with you know, a single mom and uh, it's, they're only two kids and they're older, but still, I just, I, I, now I get to witness firsthand, like why certain things can't happen in their family and what that is like for the kid and, you know, what it's like for the parent. And yeah, no, it's, it's right. Everybody is going through something. Hey, let me run this by you. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So last week we did the um, questions experiment, oh, yes! you know, and it was great fun. I, I enjoyed it. And it kind of gave me, uh, it helps, it's helping me to hone in on my little concept here. So I'm going to make a further refinement, which is to say, now I'm compiling a list of what I hope will eventually be at least 100 questions. And I'm going to have whoever I'm asking them, just pick 12, like pick 12 numbers 
Oh, that's so good. I'm not up to 100. I only have 34. But could you please pick 12 numbers between right one at and the 34? same time? Just I'll write. I'm going to write them down. You're just going to okay, call out right, the numbers. Right, Thirty. Okay. Thirty-four. Two. Eleven. Seventeen. Twenty-two. How many more? Do I have? I'm bad at math. You need, Where are we? You need seven more. Seven more. Okay. That's like when I go to pick out the donuts. I never know what the hell number I'm at. I'm like seventeen. Crispies. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, okay. Um. How about sixteen? And um, 21, and 14, and 30. That's it? More. <laughs> Maybe 12 okay. is too many. Six. Okay. And 32. I already said that. Nope. One more. Okay. Is that it? Oh. 35. Oh, no, we only go to 40 to 34. Okay. Uh, seven. Great. Okay. 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 Fantastic. All right, I'm gonna start with number two. What was your, <laughs> a tough one. What was your most terrifying night away from home? Oh shit. Oh sh oh oh shit. There's so many. Ter okay. Okay. It just it seems really simple, but when I was probably eight or nine, I had a best friend Nikki, and Nikki lived down the block, and my mom and and I was having a sleepover. And it was a sleepover on a school night for some weird reason. I think my mom, but my mom was always out of town and my father was not helpful. Like, we'll just do that. So I think my mom was going on some big trip. Okay. I woke up at Nikki's house in the middle of the night and it, and I don't know if I had had a bad dream or something, but I looked outside and it was, it must've just been sunrise, but it looked like, um, red, like the apocalypse. And I was convinced the world was fucking ending. And I, I had, I remember saying, I have to call my mom. I can't, I got to get out of here. It was a panic. Like I've not felt. Wow. And I know it was related to my mom going out of town. Right. So I, yeah. I called on the phone. I knew where the phone was and I talked to her and I remember her trying to calm me down, but also probably being really fucking mad that I called her at, in the middle, like at 4 a.m. or something. And she, but I, it's, it was terrifying in that I, I was away from, this is a common theme, away from home, close to home, couldn't reach home, couldn't get home, couldn't convince my mom that there was a real problem. Yeah. And I yeah. swear it was like read out. And I was like, the world, and I think it was right around the time that movie, The Day After, came out about the nu uh, nuclear holocaust. Like, oh, okay. like there was that movie in the eighties about what would happen and we weren't allowed to watch it, but my parents watched it on television. They sent a thing home saying, don't let your kids watch this movie. It's so traumatizing. Really? I've never even heard of it. The day after. Yeah. And I mean, either. I mean now, but then they sent this memo home and then I know my parents were watching and I was kind of peeking and I swear to God, it okay. must've looked like the sky looked and yeah. my mom was not hopeful. And she right. Went right. The worst. Yeah, okay. the worst. The one-two <laughs> combo. Okay. Yeah. What percent battery is your phone typically at when it's around 4 p.m.? Oh. Meaning, like, do you start the day full, 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 and then you're down to, like, whatever, 65% by the late afternoon? I say, I say we're at uh, 50% by the late afternoon. Okay. okay. Yeah. By the way, just so you know, teenagers think that anything above 10% is, like, you're fine. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, 
Well, if my I son, hope they don't get stuck on a mountain somewhere. Right. If they start the day at, you know, 14%, they're not sweating it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would, that just the thought of that makes me itch. All right. Tell, what's yeah. an underrated movie that you love? Signs. What? M. Night Shyamalan. Signs. The Signs, Signs. movie. Signs. Yeah. Great. It's is, brilliant, it, is that underrated? People fucking hate that guy. And now, it, maybe at the time people watch it, now they think of, oh, it, it, it was life-changing, that movie for me. So, Signs. Oh, wow. Okay, great. At what temperature do you get cold? How low does it have to be for you to feel cold? Six, like 60, uh, indoor or outdoor? That's a great question. Indoor or outdoor? That's, Let's say it's, outdoor. Outdoor. Okay. Cold outdoor, got to be below 50. Okay. Okay. Below 50. And I'm like, oy, oy, oy. Who besides yourself would you want to be a billionaire? A billionaire? I want someone fun that's going to buy me things. That's um, not going to be so weird about money. I'll see you. Ooh, you okay. buy me presents. Yeah, First yeah. billion I get, I'm presenting you presents. Okay, thanks. Right now, do you have a proper, like, do you have a full bed with a headboard and a frame and the whole thing? Or do you just have a frame or you just have a headboard or what? The whole thing, it's never made. Never do I make the bed. It's a bad okay. scene. Have you ever cried at a sports game? Oh, yeah. Are you nuts? Yes. Um, I cried the, the, the I, I'm trying to think of the last one I went. Oh, I cried watching um, UCLA football with my niece because she was so into the team and so mean to the other team, but like so into it that I got so into it and then I cried. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love it. I love that. Yeah. Uh, when's the last time you had the hiccups? That's like six years ago. I never get the hiccups. You never get the hiccups. Interesting. Never. Okay. Um, if you could select, where would you like to die? Ooh. In somebody's living room that I love, surrounded by people <laughs> okay. I love. I thought you were going to say, in somebody's living room where they're like, fuck, bust. <laughs> no, no, like a planned, like, <laughs> like a pla somebody's okay. living room that I love. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's like a ritual and a, yeah. Okay, yes, yes. Like so you already answered this. Do you make your bed every day? The answer is no. Oh, hell to the no. Okay. Most embarrassing moment on public transportation. Oh, I know. Okay. I was like 20 and I, I think I just, I don't know. I was on the red line in Chicago and I thought I was so cute. This is hilarious. I thought I was so cute. I had headphones on with my disc man and a dress that was really cute and some um, like combat boots, like work boots that it was like height of grungery, right? And I'm, I'm walking down the platform and my fucking laces get tied together to each other. Somehow like the, the and I'm strutting and they got tight and I fall face first with all my disc man goes flying. My skirt goes, my dress goes up. I hit my, I, I, it was the most, I thought it was so fucking cute. And then I just bit it and I, I, I'm so stunned. And then it was hard to get up because my shoes were tied together. 
That's great. I love that. And that reminds me, as soon as you said the red line, I was, I immediately remembered Rollo's story that he told on the podcast about when he was at the train station <laughs> and this guy who'd been bullying him or something like that in college was across the thing. He yelled, Sorry, I bullied hey, you. Sorry. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the episode with Rollo, Rollo, Rollo Room, go back so to good. that one just for the way he tells that story. And he's like, yeah, it's okay, man. I mean, I didn't think you really meant it. Yeah, I really didn't mean it. I've grown up now. Cool, <laughs> nice chat. Thanks, bro. <laughs> okay, and your last question he's is... He's really funny, that guy. He's, he's so he funny. He's so funny. funny. I, really and we funny. were supposed to, like, Zoom and stuff. It never happened. Hello. Yeah, it never happened. How much moisturizing are you doing these days? A lot of moisture fucking rising. In your so whole body? I, your whole... Queer no, body? you know, I am so neglectful of everywhere but my face it's not right so mm. i moisturize the shit out of you got me goop so i put on it's there's so much stuff i do to my face in the morning i have a green tea situation then i have this egyptian magic oil then there's people buy me more so a lot of facial moisturizing my other body is ashy as dry as, as fuck what I'm gonna challenge about? you. I'm gonna challenge okay. you to give some love to the rest of your body right after you get out of yeah. the shower. Yeah. Just get dry enough and just it, you will really feel better. Like it does really make you starting your day, it feels much better because okay. my thing I'm is gonna like, do it. I hate being in a situation where I haven't moisturized and for whatever you know, I wear pants constantly, whatever, but for whatever Me reason, too. just enough of my ankles or the bottom of my leg is showing, and I'm like, oh my god. I can't believe it worked Right, right, right. So do yourself Ashy a favor. Ass. Okay. Today on the podcast, we are talking to character actor extraordinaire Nick Reynolds. You have seen Nick on absolutely everything. He has been on Search Party, a new favorite of mine, Succession, a perennial favorite of mine, Orange is the New Black, Law and Order SVU, The Blacklist, I mean, you name it, he's been on it, and he is one of these journeyman actors, like a really no-nonsense, do-the-work, show-up, be-professional, you know, actor, and I, and I love that. So please enjoy our conversation with Nick Reynolds. That's what I think. Oh, yeah. He's a little nervous. nervous. Yeah. I, I, I speak nervous fluently. Oh, yeah. I speak panic attack fluently. So we're in, the, we're in, good, <laughs> we're in good company. Okay. Well, congratulations, Nick Reynolds. You survived theater school. Woo-hoo! Oh, my and- God. <laughs> Can't believe you guys are making me go back in time here. Yeah, that's all right. Yes, that's, that's what we do. That's what we do. I think you might be our first Penn State grad. Is that a conservatory or what kind of a program is it? Um, yes, it was the the MFA program was a conservatory style program. It's more known for its BFA, for its musical theater program. It still is. Um, but they had a BA, uh, a BFA, and then a master's program. We were all in the same building. Wow. But yeah, ours was was very conservatory style. Okay, that's, that's okay. So does that mean small class size? Like, yeah, I think we I think we started out with eight. Eight? Holy shit. Yeah, we had eight people in our class. Uh, a few years before us, they were doing a three-year program, and then they changed to a two-year program year-round. So I think at the time we did it, they were taking a class every year. Um, wow. Uh, eight people. We ended up with seven. Uh, we lost one along the way who who um, 
left the program, but yeah. Did they have a cut system before we go back? Did did you have a cut system where they cut you? They had, they did have an evaluation uh, period at the end of the first year. But uh, if I can remember 12 years after living in New York city, it is the, these memories get foggier and foggier. If I can remember, it was not anything terrifying. It was not a pro. They did not want to kick us out. They they definitely wanted to keep the people. That's so nice. Well, okay. So let's start way, way back, way back in the time machine. So were you one of these kiddos that was like, Oh, I'm going to be famous. How was your journey? Because I also was looking at your, um, actors access stuff and like you've been in everything and done a lot of things a lot of guest stars and stuff like that so you started somewhere where did you start i grew up in huntington west virginia which uh is where uh the town is where kentucky ohio and west virginia all meet right there on the ohio river um only child so incredibly special like the most special (laughs) uh, little community theater actor walking around everybody was like, oh my God, he's got, why am I doing it in that accent? It would be in a, in a hillbilly accent, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Please do the hillbilly you've got accent. It. You, oh my God, he's got it, he's got He's got the magic, whatever it is. Keep it going. Wait, 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 wait. I thought actually when you started this, you were being you were being silly, but you, but you really were like the town star. I would not, I wouldn't say I was a town star. Actually, like because where I'm from, it's a uh, college town. It's where Marshall University is. There was a, a good community theater uh, scene going on. So a lot of my buddies were doing community theater with me. There was a lot of us. But yeah, when I was younger, uh, I thought for sure, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an actor. Yeah, this is this is just the way it goes. Because I hated school. Oh, you, you did? Know, typical actor story. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So what I'm what I'm really fascinated by already is the fact that in this town – where three states, right, come together, that there's not only a thriving community theater scene, which, you know, because when you, for me, when I think of the sort of the East and the South in, in that that area, I'm like, well, they, 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 what, what do these people know about theater? But you're telling exactly. me that it was like super rich theater scene. So you were a child actor there in community theater. Can you tell me what your first role ever was on stage? Yes, I was an orphan in Oliver. Great, great, great first start. Yeah, first my start. mother, my mother, who of course is an only child's biggest fan, loves to tell the story. Well, they were going to cast three different kids to be Oliver, but they decided to just go with one, and you were going to be one of those three. Oh, uh, if, if it actually happened, that's amazing. Yeah. You were going to be one of the yeah. three, but it didn't happen. She's she truly is. is she's like also he was waitlisted at Yale. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh my God, waitlisted, waitlisted from the get go. Yeah, um, my, whole life is my whole life that's is your, waitlisted. That's the name of your memoir, Waitlisted, from, yeah. from the get-go. Yeah. I love that. Okay, I don't want so, I don't want to jump too far. Oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Speaking of that, I don't want to jump too far ahead in the story, but my manager specifically does not tell me when I'm waitlisted uh, because he knows, you know, right. I think there's a lot of representation that does that because we're already neurotic enough He's like, just just settle down. I'll tell you what. Oh, it's like fun. when you're not the first choice. Yeah, when you're like the second choice. Yeah. Yeah, no, nobody needs to know. That. Yeah. That's like saying to your child, no. Well, we tried and tried to have a kid and we had a kid and and um and you came second and it was just like an accident. That's <laughs> what my life <laughs> exactly. was like. So there you go. Nobody needs that. So but what I wanna 
What I want to know is at what point, I mean, first of all, not everybody grows up, um, you know, necessarily going to go to college. I didn't necessarily think I was going to go to college, but at what point did you think you were going to go to college and you definitely, I mean, I know this was your MFA, so you did something else for undergrad, but at what point did you say, this is what I'm going for? Well, I, like most of us, I went to Marshall because that's where I was from. I had gotten away from theater a little bit because I was like, no, I want to be something else. I want to be popular. I want to, I want to join a fraternity. I want to oh, do these things. So they and were not synonymous is what you're saying. Like you, No, okay. there, there definitely was a, was a break and Marshall had a BFA program and I had almost flunked out of undergrad and I thought I would go over to, this is a story you've heard before. I know I thought I would go over to the BFA program and take some easy classes and just build my GPA up again. And I was like, Oh Man, I think I belong here. I think this is the only place that has made sense so far. Okay, why did you hate school? What was the deal? Because my father, I, I actually didn't hate school, but I, my dad was an only child who hated, who did not do well in school because probably he hated it. What was your deal? Why did you hate traditional school? What went on there? Um, I would just rather be doing what I want to do. I don't like, uh, I don't like sitting down. I. I wouldn't, I, I'm not brave enough to diagnose myself with attention deficit disorder. I'm not stupid enough to do that, but I know how I feel in class. And three minutes after they start talking, I'm like, Ooh, no. interesting because guess what? Guess what? My dad in later in life was diagnosed when he took him 10 years to do his dissertation. And my mom finally wrote it for him that he was diagnosed with ADHD as a 50 year old man. So it's possible. I'm just saying there are some similar, I'm noticing some similarities. I'm not going to diagnose you either, but I, why not? I'm just going to diagnose you. You have ADHD. Have a nice day. No, I'm uh, thank you. It's official. It's official. I, uh... Anyway. So you, okay. So it was more like you just didn't, you couldn't connect like in class. You were not interested in physics 101 or whatever. Like, yeah. okay. So you started staring out the window and shit like that and thinking about, and I didn't want to go to college either. I didn't want to go to college either, but I knew enough to know that like, well, I have to do something. So maybe I'll just kick the can down the road, uh, go to college for a little while and something will click. Something will make sense. Uh, And I'm a millennial. So millennials had a gun to the small of their back to go to college the whole time anyway. So I was like, I'll I'll just do this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's an interesting conundrum. Um, how, how I'm understanding you describing the your experience of being an only child was that you were special. And what I want to know is, like, that seems like a great reason to go into a performing art because you're accustomed to having people, you know, really want to pay attention to you. But then it also sounds like a difficult thing when you experience a thing that every single actor, with very few exceptions, experiences, which is a lot of rejection. So how have you handled that? There is... I I really don't know whether it is a mix of a religious upbringing uh, in a small town where I've just had, I've been faced with a lot of humility throughout growing up, despite being an only child. Like there's a quick little story here that when I was in seventh grade, I had a freak accident happen and I had to have retinal surgery and I'm legally blind in my right eye. So this was a weird thing to happen at a point in your life where you feel indestructible, right? But suddenly I'm on the operating table. Wait, what happened? I asked the guy. Wait, well, you can't just say you had a freak accident and <laughs> you're talking to me. I need to know the, what yeah. the hell happened to your eye. We, like country kids, would get into fights just for fun. 
right? We would throw stuff at each other. We would climb trees. We would do all this stuff. And one day we got in a crab apple war. Some uh, kids in the neighborhood, one across the, the way, were on my side of the street. And I took one in the eye. And I mean, like, we've done this a hundred times. This has never happened before, but it got me good. I lost um, 25% of peripheral vision in my right eye, had um, this surgery that was so crazy because everybody else in his office is coming in for cataract surgery and is a hundred years old. But I have this, I have a ring, I have a belt in my eye, keeping the retina in place. And um, three days after my surgery, I had to, I had too much pressure in my eyeball, right? I wasn't eating anything. So I had to go in while I was awake. They pin my eye open and they stick a needle in my eye to let out air, right? Freak crazy stuff. This is like but it kind of grounded bullshit me. over here. Oh my God. It absolutely, okay, it absolutely you was. It grounded you. It like, uh, it like, what did it do? How old were you? First of all, how old were you? Seventh grade. So like 13, 12, 13. So it just made me, I always, I only bring that up to say that I always had a sense of reality. Even as I'm chasing this dream, I always, I knew there was rejection. I knew there was going to be hard stuff, which kind of was the reason I followed my under undergrad professor's advice and went to grad school. I'm like, give me every single tool you can give me so that I am not jumping out into this world with nothing. You know, I knew rejection was coming. I knew reality was there. Okay, so. but you, okay, so it, yeah. you must have loved when you transferred to the BFA program as an undergrad and found out, oh, it's not just easy classes. Like, what was the feeling um, of, like, what did you feel? How did you know that this was the path for you? Well, I remembered working with the, both professors there in, uh, before, when I was in middle school. I had done the Scottish play and done Lost in Yonkers with them. So I was familiar with the building. I was familiar with the uh, the people. Some of the other people in my community, pardon me, had gone there as well. So there was a part of me that was like, it, I mean, it just, it, it felt like going back, going back home again, right? Uh, I, uh, I, I understood everything that was going on in there already. And first thing we did there was to kill a mockingbird, um, which was great. You did that as an undergrad? As an undergrad, yeah, play? I played um, uh, Jim. Is that the book? They yeah, of course. Real, they cast yeah. real kids, and then they cast some um, of us as their understudies, and then we got a performance as well. And I was like, that was a great way to kind of dip my toe back in and not get thrown right on stage. And Yeah. Um, but what about the journey from Marshall to Penn State? When did, at what point did you decide that you wanted to, I mean, not everybody knows an MFA is a terminal degree. You can't go any higher <laughs> in the world of theater. You can teach if you have an MFA. So what, at what point did you decide you wanted to go that route? Well, the, the two, my two professors there, Jack Cirillo and Gene Anthony, that was their thing. Every single day, they wanted their people to get MFAs. It was, it was not uh, a casual suggest, suggestion at all. They said it every single day. And a lot of people before me had been. Uh, I did the auditions at Erdas and Uptas and SETC. I did the whole thing. And Penn State wasn't even the one I wanted, to be honest. I want? wanted to go to UConn. UConn. Why UConn? Yeah. UConn had um, a puppetry program as well uh, at the time that I thought I was like, I've always been uh, interested in that too, that I thought, oh, I can get 
um, sure. a little bit of experience there too. I really liked the interview that I had with them in New York. Uh, and the Penn State interview didn't go that well because the main guy who teaches acting at Penn State wasn't even in the room for my for my audition. So it kind of felt like, oh, well, they weren't really taking me seriously. This wasn't going to happen anyway. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah. So do you, first of all, take us back. Do you know what, what did you do for your Erdas and all the Uddas? What did you do? What monologue or what did it, what I'm always so curious about what people pick for themselves. This is, uh, we're going to have another only child moment here. I did a monologue that I wrote. Oh no, that's brilliant. Uh, Beautiful. Great idea. <laughs> great writers. Pretty it. No, it was probably yeah. the way to go. So, okay. What, what was it about? Can you remember? Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, yes, we had written it in undergrad. And what if you're like about... it was about being an only child? <laughs> no, the favorite thing <laughs> no, ever. Sorry, I'm being a jerk. It, it was about a father who was coaching a little league team, and they were letting girls play now, and about how upset he was, but he was trying to put on a brave face for it, and it was a very, uh, you know, sardonic, sarcastic. Wait, were you the thing. father or the kid? Who were you? Play- were you the dad? I was the father. I, I was the father. I've always, since I got into school, I've always looked 10 years older than I am. Um, right. So, okay. yeah, I, I was okay. I, I was doing the father role. I sang a song as well. I think I sang, this was We'd like many you, years we'd ago. We'd like you to sing it right now. No, just kidding. Right now. <clears throat> Uh, no, I, I think I said something. I think producers. it's just I'm trying to. I don't know. It's I. I'm, I'm, I haven't slept much. Anyway, okay. So you did a song, and, that, and you feel like it went really poor. Like, first of all, why isn't the person who's teaching acting in the audition? Are they in the like? I pictured them like in the hotel or wherever the Erdas or whatever's are, but they're just like wandering off or doing some douchey shit and not paying attention to that. What the fuck? Did you ever find out? You, know, you went there. Uh, it was explained to me that uh, this person was going to the bathroom at the time. They were there for my initial audition. You know how it's like in, in the initial audition, it's the it's the room full of people. But it was my callback. Sorry that that this person was not there for. And maybe they already knew you were yeah. going there. Maybe they already knew you. They were getting. I'm looking at it a different way. Like I'm okay. You're like no man. It's possible. <laughs> He's it's going, possible. No, there was no, somebody no. in the room, and I did have a great time. Uh, with the professor that was there, like we got to play some Shakespeare back, some Shakespeare, excuse me, back and forth. And that's another thing I did. I did a Shakespeare monologue uh, for the that? audition as well. So, um, yeah. Um, the Hamlet? No, uh, Tempest, Ferdinand. Yeah. I think. Oh, oh good. Great yeah. choice. That was yeah, a great it's a good choice for you. So, yeah. what, one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show, speaking of, um, you know, making a good choice for yourself is, at what point or whether people discover if they didn't know already before they go into a program, what their type is and how people are going to view them and how to sell themselves. And it's a two part question, which is, did that happen to you? What was that about? But also like, was it a surprise in any way how people, how people were reflecting you back to yourself? It was a little bit in undergrad, right? Because if you're the big fish in a little pond in undergrad, you get to play absolutely everything under the sun, which which everybody does. And I even then, getting back to, you know how how I viewed the world, I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm never gonna be Andrew, and I hate Hamlet again. I'm never gonna like. Be, I, I, so I knew going in, and definitely to grad school, I had always heard 
Well, grad school, that's when they really start to type you out, especially in programs, right? That's that's what we thought anyway, that sure. we want an ingenue and we want some we want some character people and, and we need to really mix it up so we don't have a bunch of the same type. And I knew I was a character guy. I knew it, I knew it. And I thought early on too, for film and television, I thought it's gonna take me a while because I look older. That's another thing people kept saying to me. Speaking of, you know, what what got reflected back, so many people said it's going to take you a while because you look older and they, they don't need. Did you, what was your response to that internally? Did you were like, yeah, I agree. Or were you like, fuck you? No, I did agree because, uh, because I thought, you know, like we've got a receding hairline, we've got bags under the eyes. I got like stuff that I knew about myself that I thought, well, good. Then it, it almost took the pressure off. It almost made it seem like don't go to the city and feel like if you haven't done it in a year, you failed and it's time to quit. Like, no, you give yourself a nice long leash, a nice long length of rope and, and stick it out, dude. Wow. That's you know, a really that's great kind thing. Of, I wish someone like, I, I'm just trying to think of like, if someone said that to me, I don't think I would have been in a place to really accept it. And also, I think, you know, women, sometimes it gets all fucked up with like body and se- with men too, sexuality, and all the things. but who's sexy and who's not. But, but I wish that I had done that because I think I might have stuck it out because people did say that to me, like, well, you're going to be a badass at 40. But the problem is I didn't, I gave up before that a little bit internally. So I wish that I had, had given myself a longer leash in terms of like, do have fun and like, might as well um, have fun and yeah. wait it out. But I just didn't trust that that was actually going to happen. I, tr- I thought they were just saying that shit to be nice. I also acknowledge the confidence and privilege of being me in this situation too, that like, I just thought it was funny. Right. Like when people would mm-hmm. say things like I'll, we can talk about that later too. Some of the breakdowns that I get in the TV world are humbling as shit. Oh, right? sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. I'm sure. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, whatever. It, catch the check. Let's they need it. somebody. They need somebody to yeah. fill that role. That's, writers write those roles and they need somebody to fill it. So I have a question for both of you, actually, just like a little bit of a thought experiment, which is let's imagine day one of your program you know, I, it's almost like a line at St. Peter's gate, you know, like you're going through and they're going, this is your type. This is your type. This is your type. This is your type. Some people that we've had on here have sort of expressed a wish to have known this earlier. I might even count myself in those ranks. Like maybe if somebody had just told me this is who you are, whether I felt that was right or wrong, I probably would have accepted that and then just kind of gone in a direction. But because I didn't have that experience. I didn't know what direction to go in. And I also gave up. So like, what do you guys think? What if they pulled you aside day one and said, just go in this direction? This is your direction. Would that have been helpful or hurtful? Oh, that's a great question. I think, I think Gina, because I'm someone that just needed, I don't know if it would have worked out, but if because I need rules, structure, and compartments and like containers in my emotional life, I think it would have helped me if they said, "Listen, you're the funny neighbor. Think Mrs. Pool or Mrs. Pool from um, what you call it from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the secretary, whatever. Think that go in that direction. I might have just embraced it and been fine, and then realized I could do other things. I think I had nothing. I had nothing to hold on to in terms of." So who I thought I was, who they, yeah, I was grasping at straws. So I think it would have helped me. What about you? Yeah, I 
No, I think so too. And I was definitely looking for, especially once I got to grad school, I was looking for a mentor. I was looking for somebody to look at me and say, I know what you are. This is how we get there. I, that, that's really, really what I want. I would say more so than even walking into something and going, I want a process. I want to be a part of this thing. I think more than anything I want is somebody to go, you, come here and, and let's let's go over here. Let's sit down and figure out how you become this thing. Yes, you know? I think yeah. that's so really I, great. Yeah. I would have loved that. But I guess, I guess it kind of goes against like the whole idea of like school or like a process. It does, and, yeah. But it's, it's like image something. But it would have helped to have a mentor say, hey, I got you. I understand you. And there, I think there were people like that for me along the way I just by that point I like was so closed down I didn't or, listen to them what if they yeah. said to you like we think this is your type we think you're a Mrs. Pool type but you're here at college and you may surprise us maybe yeah. you're going to go to but like just know in other words what if it was something like this is the middle point that you can always tack back to yes you know if you really hate yes. this suggestion about who you are prove me wrong. I'm, I'm open to that too. But, um, you know, maybe this is where when you feel like you're stuck and you don't know where to go next, maybe this is the center that you can come back. I think I like that. And I also thinking like, it's so fucked up because, um, they say things like people, meaning teachers, casting will say things like, cause I've been, been on the other side of the casting whatever and and they say things like oh, they, they're she or he or they are always doing that thing like that's their thing they do and like it's so boring but then they end up casting them right in that thing yeah so i'm like wait a second you're asking for two different things here you're wanting us to be super process oriented and like in the moment but also you just want us to be the thing we are so that you can cast us and then the process is easier for everybody involved so it's like a very it's a hard bind to be in you're like dude what do you want do you want fucking every like the 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 spontaneous firecracker, or do you want the fucking Mrs. Pool every goddamn time? Because just tell me. So it's interesting. I feel like there's mixed messages that are given in in Hollywood and in and theater as well. It's like anyway, that's just a tangent. It's also it's also a world that's changing, isn't it? Because like when we were doing it, we were obsessed with type. What is my type? Where do I fit? What pile? And uh, I'm, I'm actually teaching a class at York College every other spring right now on auditioning for the camera and professional prep. And it's kind of it's kind of weird to talk to the younger generation and talk about type because they're like, what do you mean? I, I don't go in a box. I, I get to do yep. I get to do other things. We're, we're breaking down these walls. Oh. We're breaking down these boxes. So right. it's, yeah. it's weird. It's, it's a change. It's a shift that's going on right now. But that is how my mind still right. thinks. Sure. Um, like, well, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Wow. Sorry, I took us on a tangent there. We can get back. So since you, no, that's okay. <laughs> but since you mentioned breakdowns, I really, I think that would be so great for people to hear about. Uh, obviously, people who went to theater school know what what you're talking about. But pe- for people who didn't, you know, you get this thing, this description of the character that you're going to be auditioning for. And, you know, sometimes the breakdowns reveal things that you realize people think about you just to look at you. So tell us about your experience with breakdowns. Oh man, they are the best. Um, because I, I love, I love one that really doesn't have much information at all. One that kind of lets me just, just play, but so many of them and less and less these days would say things to me. I wrote some of them down. I got schlubbly a lot. Wait, wait, wait. I wait, was- schlubbly? Yeah, like a, like a like a an unkempt 
slob Great. looking Great. man. Slob. Um, when I first started getting auditions, I was in my early 30s, but all the men were 40s to 50s. Sure. That's what it, that's what it said to me. I was like, okay, great, 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 great. Just to gloss right on past that. And my favorite one that I ever uh, got called in for described my character as balding but hip. Um, okay, okay, I like that. <laughs> Which is I great. Like that. Which is great. Yeah, he's losing his hair, but he can hang. Don't worry. That's amazing. Yeah. I kind of like that. I like that, even though it's so on some levels, it's like oh, because they well, can't be right. Like the assumption is like as soon as you're bald, you there you are an old. You know, you have zero hip fat. Zero. You might as okay, well but just like then. How do you do you uh how how let's see here. How do you go in the direction of that when they've given you a specific thing? But bring yourself to it too. I mean, you aren't fifty or forty, or maybe you are now, but at the time you weren't. So, like, ha- I, I guess maybe it's a difficult question to answer. But how do you make it your own? How do you say, "Well, I'm not forty or fifty, but here's what is in me that I could bring to this that might translate to be forty or 50? Well, yeah, you're 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 saying it right. Like there there was I, I was really lucky at the end of my grad program. I got to go up to Toronto and do um, two weeks of study with David Rotenberg at the Professional Actors Lab. And we talked a lot about that. And one of the things, one of the empowering things he said to us, which which we all know at this point is not only be the solution to their problem, but like, they don't know. They don't, they don't know. Nobody, nobody in the casting world, as far as I've ever seen, has this particular idea in their head and their minds cannot be changed. So I've always I've always known that as an actor and and bought into that that yeah. like although although it's not my mission I'm not going to I'm going to change your mind I'm just going to take the permission that you've given me I'm going to take this and you know may, this is what I can give you of this character and maybe you're not obsessed with him being 50 years old maybe there's something else I can do but I just buy in 100% to it and even though that stuff that I was talking about, like, affects me on a personal level, I'm sure. like, oh, my God, they think I'm a grandpa. I'm like, no, no, no. I know I know what's going on here. If I do the right thing, if you see something in me, then I get it. That's how this works. So that stuff never. Yeah. You said something really important, which is in order to be in this field and be an actor getting breakdowns and all this shit, you really have to, I really have to buy into the fact that I'm wanted in the room, that they picked me for a reason. Absolutely. And from the, from the jump. So my agent submitted me knowing I could do it. The casting looked at it and said, yeah, bring her in. She could do it. Then if, and then if you get a callback, they really think you can do it. But I think that you have to have enough self-esteem to believe from the jump that you belong in the room. Or you fucking, it's a real uphill battle to even get the job. Right? Let me say the most pandering thing I could possibly say on this podcast. I believe casting directors know what they're doing. I do. I buy into this. And, and you your know, agent. That, that, and your agents. Just, like, they're not, yes. they're not going to, like, 
it's a trust. It's a trust. But the only way I'm just realizing this now, like the only way you can do that is if you trust yourself on some level, right? If you say like, I can do this. And so most of us that I know, at least from my generation, got into this business, not trusting themselves at all, like no trust at all. So then you're like, of course, you're not going to believe that you're right for an ingenue or a sexy babe if you look a certain way. It's just, it's just so interesting that this is a career built on constantly having to reaffirm that you belong in spaces. And it's really hard to do when you already feel fucked up, right? So it makes perfect sense that why, like, it took me whatever, 20 years to come back to this business. Because now I'm like, no, I fucking belong to be here because I lived through all this shit. Get out of my way. But I still, there's a, okay. no, but I still, it's still a thing. It's a thing. A hundred and ten percent. There's, there's also a part of that that I bought into very early on, which is when it, whenever I do this, I tell myself I am auditioning for the casting director, not the role. Yeah. So once, once, once I started, once I believed that and knew that in my soul that I, then I go, well, for starters, this isn't the end of my career. I don't, I don't need this role more than anything in the world. And I go, the pressure is off me to fit what I think they want. I'm like, no, 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 do a good job. It'll be right. Yeah. Friend who's, I mean, he's probably your age, but he's younger than me. Mickey O'Sullivan said, we're booking the room. We're not booking the job. You're booking the room. Love You're it. making fans of your work. And I was like, oh, shit. Why did it take me this? Oh, shit. And I see it now that I go into, I may not book the shit. It doesn't matter. But I bet you what? She's calling me in for something else the next day. I, I've seen it happen. Yep. So I've seen evidence of that. And so I truly believe that. So I guess, yeah. Sorry, Gina, you, I think you were going to say something. I think. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Well, all, all I was going to say is I, I. one thing I, if I was teaching theater school, I might tell people who are get people like myself who get upset with their own casting is, um, you know, next time you're watching a film where somebody's the character actor and they're playing whatever, somebody who looks like a goblin, go, go look at their actual photograph. I bet you nine times out of 10, they have a gorgeous headshot and it's actually <laughs> a really big compliment that they thought you could do this. That they thought Because, you know, I mean, this might sound like sour grapes, but to play the ingenue is like not that fun or interesting, well, right? It, it's not, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's ultimately not the thing you actually probably went to, to into this field right. to do. And I think that it goes back to my, like my whole thing about the anti-mame experience that I had. So in high school, my friend at the time, stunning, thin, was cast as anti-mame and I really wanted the role. But also I said, or's divorce in the audition instead of hors d'oeuvres anyway i just remember that but she knew how to say how to say hors d'oeuvres so anyway she was cast as auntie mame and i was cast as agnes gooch and i i thought this was a horrible thing and that it meant that i had failed and halfway through the rehearsal process our our jerky whatever teacher um was like thank god for agnes gooch in this in this play i was like wait what I I was like, wait, you're telling me I'm not good enough in some way or not thin enough or pretty enough, whatever, and play. But you're also saying I'm saving the goddamn play. So, like, there's got to be something in that. So I paid attention to that because I was like, wait, he can say all the things about how beautiful she is, but I'm actually doing the thing that's saving the goddamn show. So that's where my my love of character actors really began was in, like, thinking, like, oh, wait, they kind of saved the show. The, especially the funny people like oh okay pay attention to that so anyway back back to back to your experience of like 
you're now you pick Penn. Why? So you didn't? Did you not get into UConn, or you were just like, "Fuck it, I'm going to Penn." It, if I remember correctly, I did not get an offer from UConn, and there were a couple other offers I did have on the table, and I didn't want them. I just thought, like, I don't necessarily want to go to these places. And and looking back, part of it was probably they were too far away from home and I had never been away from home. So I, I know there was a part of me that didn't want to go uh, really, really far. And then I had finally turned this one program down for sure. The, the, the person gave me one last chance to say yes. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to bet on myself here and, and say no. And Penn State called that day. And I had missed the the campus visit for Penn State. Like, I don't know how far down on the list I was and how many people said no, but it got to me. Uh, and I later found out that I was so far down on the list because the guy wasn't in the room um, for me and, like, couldn't say yes or no about me. Like, there, there wasn't a vote to be wait, had. Wait, there, am I getting it, it right that you out. said no to U- UConn or, or whatever the place is, not even knowing if Penn said yes to you. So you just said, Correct. oh, my gosh, you didn't take Correct. the option that was that you thought was left, even though I didn't. No, you're right. I didn't I didn't like what they were offering. And I know this like some people are not in this position, but I was lucky enough to like not feel like I had to do it or else. I felt a lot of people were saying, if you remember back in undergrad, people were like, well, take a year, take two years and then go to grad school. A lot of people don't go to grad school fresh out of undergrad. So I gave myself that permission. Right. I was like, I'm not going to force myself to get into this situation. I also don't think there were three things we were supposed to look for in a program. You're supposed to pay it. You're supposed to get a showcase out of it. And you're supposed to get your equity card if you want it at the end. Wait a minute. They pay you? They pay you to go to grad school? Penn State was totally paid for. What the fuck? That's amazing. Yeah. Is that how all grad school programs are? No. I don't think necessarily, Uh, no. Certainly. No, a lot of them are not. A lot of them are partial. Uh, what I hear a lot of them are partial and then we still worked like we had um, we had jobs on campus as well that would pay us a a little bit extra on top of that and so Penn um, State calls you they call you or how did you find out yeah the uh, one of the professors called me the head of the theater program called me and was like uh, are you have you chosen any schools yet and I was like no (laughs) they were like they're like they're like, would you like to come to, and before they even told me what the offer was, before they even said the whole program, I was like, yes, yes, absolutely. And that's how I accept all my roles, by the way. Like my manager calls me and he's like, they're offering you that. Take it. Yes, please. He's like, well, do you want to talk about money or anything? Like, no, no, no. Yes. Yes. Can I fine. tell you something? Uh, we'll figure that out. Later. Calling up. I love those phone calls. Like, I feel like those oh my God. calls are so, in any field, are so rare where you get the thing that you fucking want or like that you didn't. Yeah. I, I had, I've only had one of those calls that to this date that I felt like, oh, like this is life. I'm living as an artist. And that was um, the day I got a, I got a call. This was in 1998 um, where the head of Steppenwolf called me, um, uh, the head of casting at Steppenwolf called me and said, we want you to be the lead in our show. And I was like, amazing. And then literally 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later, my agent calls and says, you just booked a recurring role on on um, uh, early edition. And I thought my whole life has been made. Now, 
Oh, no work on myself, and I was a piece. I was a really piece, a wreck. But I was like, this, I remember <laughs> in my apartment in Chicago, going, "I'm like, this is it. Like, this is how Annette Benning starts. Like, this is how." Yeah. It's just so interesting how things don't always go as we fucking plan. Like, they yeah. they're good in good ways, weird ways, sideways. But I really thought, oh, this is, and I knew this is never going to probably happen to me again. But anyway, okay, so you get this. One of my undergrad professors did tell me early on, celebrate the victories. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I, I heard that. I, 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 I really heard that. that. I know as an actor, we're always looking for what's next. And we're always questioning ourselves. And this It's just a bunch of rejection. But I try so hard to celebrate those victories. And yeah, there's no way to describe that call. I have a son. That's the best thing in the world. You know, he's he, he's the greatest thing in the world. But I maybe right after that is that call. Yeah. Were you like, <laughs> yeah, that, for that sure. Call. Definitely. It's they want us, right, guys? It's they want yeah. us. Me. They mm-hmm. want me. Yeah. Okay, Nick, you have had a bunch of roles on a bunch of different television shows. Boz introduced me to this term that I didn't know before. What is it? You're an under 10? Oh, I'm an under 10. Like, I'm I'm an under 10. So I usually, but you know, so you've got, you've done guest stars, but you've also done a bunch of under 10s, right? You've done both. Yeah. Yeah. And what sounds difficult to me about that is um, just when, anytime you're on set for a day or a week or whatever it is, like a short period of time, not the whole time. You know, I've heard people say, oh, it's so awkward and everybody really knows each other. And sometimes they're really like standoffish and sometimes they're very welcoming. It really varies set to set. What's your like um, go-to strategy when you're going to be on set for a really short period of time to get the work done, but also not feel maybe alone? I mean, man. That's a great question. It's so nice to hear. Yes, it is. That's a great question. And I'm so glad to hear other people say that. No, it's, it's so nice to hear that that's other people's experiences too. Um, because I take, I, 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 the, the prep I put in is first and foremost, right? Like I will not show up unprepared at all. I do everything in the world to tell myself, act like you've been there before. You know, I, I understand what a co-star, like co-star is another term for under 10. I, I understand what the job is. You know, you are plugged in, you keep it going. Uh, you you match the world. You you do your job and don't ever make anybody stop and go. But you all right? Like no no no. We, we like do your job. Make friends. Make friends if you can, and and be be a professional that way, right? I like I tell myself, and and again, it's what you guys have talked about on the podcast before. I know I belong here. I tell myself I belong here. I made this. I'm I'm the one. I'm here. Um. And the funny thing about that is that the first job I ever got, the second job I ever got on a show called The Nick, oh, I had memorized yeah. this. Uh, yeah, I was going to be on a gurney uh, getting taped up, and I had a paragraph to oh, memorize, shit. right? Oh, and I'm already getting agita. I, I, yeah, you know. You, you know what's about to happen. Uh, I had like a month to memorize this thing. Normally, the turnover is much quicker oh, than that. Yeah. I had like a month. So I showed up, and I'm there. I'm on the, I'm on the gurney. They're like, all right, we're going to rehearse in one minute. And the writer comes over and he says, so we rewrote what you're going to say. Here's the new, here's the new lines. This is when I I shit my pants, friends. I'm the gurney. Who cares? Shit your pants. Shit your pants. Absolutely. I'm like, set me up for success. Another thing you guys have talked about before, set me up for success, please. That's actually not okay. That is not okay when they do that. In fact, it's gross, but okay. Yeah. But I did, I did get it done. They did give me a little more time. Um, to, and, and this was the script supervisor was like a, the, the person they were, they wanted it to 
the to the syllable. So we got through it, but I'm like, you know what, in those moments, like that's when I need all my training and all my confidence and all. Dude, uh, this is a hard fucking job. I don't care what anybody says, because let me tell you something. I'm, I'm, I, you, yeah. Uh, Who goes into the surgeon and says, okay, by the way, you're not actually doing an ankle today. You're actually going to do a shoulder (laughs) in five minutes. That surgeon would say, okay, go fuck yourself. And I'm going to go and be sit in my Tesla and chill out. You find someone that does ankles uh, or whatever it is, but you roll with it. And I have have probably, sorry, uh, I I have probably at times been guilty of being too um, closed off on sets too. Like, I, I got to do um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, yeah. and I wouldn't talk to Tina Fey. I was like, nope, when I, I'm not doing it. I'm going to stay over here in my lane. I'm going yeah. to stay in my chair. Like, I do not need to be, because we've all seen the guy that walks around and thinks he's everybody's friend and really thinks like, this sure. is how, you know, and I'm like, oh, I will not be that dude. Absolutely not. But I think I've found a good mix of of being my my jovial self and being a professional, you know, I, and, you know, it takes, it's just part of it is also practice, right? Like the more, oh, yeah. you, and I always, um, I always um, discount practice, but it's really important like to do the thing. Well, you have to practice and really the only practice you get, and you can take classes about how it's, but you have to be on sets and you have to be put in situations where, where things are uncomfortable and see how you do. And it, and because I think I, it looks like magic to me. Like when I'm on set and I'm watching someone do something. And so when last time I was on set, like a big set, I, Jimmy Simpson, who I don't know if he went to acting school, but we should have him on. Anyway, Jimmy Simpson, who's Westworld, everything. He's done a million things. And I'm on the scene with him and I'm watching it. And I'm like, he's fucking magic. How is this? And I'm like panicking over 10 lines over here. Right. And and, and I'm panicking. (laughs) And he finally comes over and he makes it look so easy. He's so smooth. And I'm like, holy fuck. So I say to him, Jimmy, you're a star. How do you do this? Like I'm watching you mesmerize. He goes, Jen, I don't even know if you knew my name. He said, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and I, this is my first regular role on a series. And I was always a co-star for years than a guest star. He's like, I've had fucking years of practicing. You'll get there. You, is this what you're, and I'm like, yeah, I haven't done many of these, you know? And he's like, dude, it's practice. And I was like, and he said it really lovingly, but he was like trying to pull down the curtain and say, listen, it's not actually like I have talent, but it's not magic. What it is, is fucking work and practice and being uh, in a position where he could practice his craft on a set every day because he kept working. And so I was like, oh, like a lot of it is fucking practice. It's not magic. So I feel yeah, like- that's unbelievable. I've never heard somebody say that before. And that is so and he goes, fucking true. This is my, he goes, I've been yeah. a guest star for 15 years. Jen, so like I've been doing this, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah." So yeah, he's been preparing for the whole fifteen years to have a job like this. Well, I'm feeling in an anecdotal mood, and you've been on some amazing television shows. Could you share (laughs) us? Could you share with us like a great story uh, on a television? Yeah, I love that. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. This one, uh, I I hope this is not too cringeworthy. But uh, this one just comes from SVU. The okay. better, the cringy. Oh yeah, SVU. <laughs> I love a good. I, I love a good SVU marathon. Believe you me. I. Oh man, it was it was you know you're a New York actor. You're not a New York actor till you're on Law and Order. We all know this. Um, it had taken me a while, and it was the same people that had just cast me in FBI a few months earlier. So I was like, 
uh, uh, double up. I was feeling good. Uh, we, we got cast. Turnover was fast. Going in for the COVID test. First day of filming. I'm not actually filming anything. Um, but I am in Chelsea Piers to do, at, at Chelsea Piers rather, to do some photos. I'm going to do a family photo and a morgue shot. Spoiler alert. Uh, and they're going to do the read through that day. I was like, oh my God, I get to do a table read. This is, this is amazing. It's going to be virtual. Okay, that's, that's fine, virtual, whatever. So I am uh, at 11 o'clock. I go in to start my dead guy makeup, and I have my shirt off, right? So it's dead guy stuff here all over my chest. I'm already getting sternum, nervous. I'm already nervous. Yeah. Then they, they stop, pause for lunch. They're like, okay, go in your dressing room. We'll bring you the food. You can do the read-through, but don't cover up, okay? Because we don't want to smear the makeup. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So I'm in my little dressing room with my camera. I'm like this close to the camera, trying to do trying to do the read through. Oh my gosh, Mariska's on there. Ice T's on there. Everybody's on there. Hello, hello. Great to be back. Great to be back. New showrunner. This is great. All right, uh, let's let's do our read through. I'm the first guy that speaks. We're going. We're going. I'm like this. I get cut off about a minute into the read through, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to figure this out. I get a text from my manager. Casting says you're not wearing a shirt. Would you put a shirt on, please? I was like. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm like, please, look, look, look. Uh, hair and makeup told me not to wear yeah, a shirt. Dude. I am not a pervert. I am not. Oh, <laughs> dude, not, they set oh, you up first. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, so how did it, did they explain so, it? Did they explain it? He did. They explained it around. Uh, everybody had a nice laugh, including casting. And I was like, look, laugh all you want. Just know, just know the story, please. And then the woman who's <laughs> playing my wife was not on the read-through uh, but the next day, uh, I was trying to explain to her what happened. And she's like, oh, yeah, I just did a scene with Mariska. And she said, yeah, I got a funny story about your husband. Oh, my God. Oh, that's hilarious. Now, listen, because yeah, in that well, moment, like, you're, like, freaking you... out. You're freaking out. You're just doing oh what God. you're told. And yet that doing what you're told is going to get you fucking fired. Ah! Exactly. I almost threw up. I was still trying to eat a little bit. And I almost threw up what I was eating because I was like, I've waited almost 10 years to be on this show. And now I'm going to be the weirdo from Queens who doesn't think he has to wear a shirt. Well, also, like, the, you, like, don't be, like, you don't want to be like at the beginning of the read through. Like, hi, guys, I don't have my shirt on, but that's because they told me not to wear my shirt. So, like, I just want to say, like, right. that's you don't want to be that person either where you're like over explaining. No. You think they've seen this shit before that someone's a dead yeah. person and they need to. But no, there's a first time for everything. Well, at least you weren't in the fucking. Can you imagine if you went to the actual if it was an in-person read through and you show up with no shirt on? You're like, hey. Yeah, that would have been, oh my God. You know what is so, uh, you know, I, I've only been on sets with, with my son, but what is always very surprising to me is at once it seems everybody knows, like it took me a long time to figure out that they were all talking to each other and they could hear each other from far, you know, through their earpieces. That took me such a long time to figure out. And then when I figured out, I realized like, oh, everybody knows everything because they're, you know, they're constantly... But then there's situations like this, where if it's just this, these two little factions that aren't talking to each other, then they don't know everything. So no. you're like, I don't want to ask a question because everybody here seems to know everything. But then when you don't, it can sometimes bite you. It must be hard to know when to, you know, when to do which thing, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's the control, how you have no control over anything. And in this particular situation, I was like, I was not going to rest until every single person sure. knew that that, that that was a mix up because this is the type of stuff 
Like this casting office has a lot of stuff. I don't need to be Nick the perv, you know? No, thank you. I'd like to stay in the good pile. God. Oh my God. And it's like such a thing of like, you know what? It, it just triggers my, like, you're trying to do the right thing and follow every rule. And yet that might cost you your job. And you're, you're like, Oh hell to the no hell to the no. I'd be like, yeah. On that chat, like, listen, motherfuckers, I tried to no, and then I'd be like, oh, I can't do that. So you, but listen, it worked out. You filmed. How did how did the filming go? The filming went really well. It was three different days for me. Um, I got to go. Do you know about the famous New York subway where they film everything? No. Um, there's a subway down on the on the skirts of Chinatown. That's uh, it's a stop that they skip now. But basically, anytime you see a subway scene in New York City. This is the place that they do it. One side's painted red, the other side's blue. They just go back and forth in the tunnel. Uh, we spent the day down there. And, um, you know, it's a finely oiled machine at this point, right? My joke when I was telling people about it was that, uh, please, uh, if you guys have a moment, watch this show, because I'm afraid if we don't get enough views, it's just, it's not going to make it. So yeah, they're really yeah. in danger. And Kyle, you know, it's interesting. Like uh, we, Dick Wolf is in Chicago before I moved to LA. I tallied, I auditioned for the Dick Wolf shows and I still get them even in LA and I do them and I still haven't booked it. I've auditioned for Dick Wolf uh, productions 22 times in and never booked a thing. There's always a first time. You never know. I, That's I right. Yeah. Lucky, lucky number 26. Yeah. I was heading down that road myself. Yeah, but you yeah. know what? I was heading down I just love that these stories because I also feel like it just uh, hopefully it gives people and maybe people just getting into the business know, to know that like even veterans, even veterans of all kinds, like, like 10-year veterans, 20-year veterans have these stories where they're like, I am so fired. I am so fucked. Or you realize like, oh, this guy is telling me, oh, oh, he's telling me that it's not magic, that it's practice. Okay. And then you get in your tool bag, all these things. So then hopefully if you stick it out and you're like the veteran, 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 you can pass it on to other actors. And I feel like that's what we try to do a lot with this, with this podcast is like, say like, hey guys, like there are some things that are a mystery, but let's get behind the scenes and really look at the shit that goes down so that you don't feel like theater school is a total mystery and then the business is a total mystery and i just like put that together now thank you very much that's amazing that's that's why when i first moved here i did a couple times of uh background work and i knew i was like i gave myself three times i said you can do it three times to see how the sausage gets made that's it you are not it is not your way no one's gonna look around the crowd and go you that doesn't happen so yeah, that was the that was the permission I gave myself because yeah, you got it. You gotta you gotta know. Uh, yeah. if, if people don't tell you, if the people that that teach you in your school, God bless them, have been out of the game for thirty years, they don't. You know. So. Well, that's a perfect segue to um, you had mentioned earlier three things you definitely have to get out of a program, and one of them was showcase. So, mm-hmm. can you tell us about your showcase experience? Oof, it was rough, y'all, because we did it in New York. We did it in conjunction with the BFAs. I love a good showcase story. Okay. (laughs) No, it was, I think we did fine, but they were all there to see the BFAs. They weren't there for us. Um, I was the only person in my, this is not me telling tales. This is a fact. I was the only person in my grad class that did not get any interest from an agent after the showcase. Uh, 
So once I got to New York, I, you know, I pounded the pavement and sent out headshots and did everything that I could. And I just think at that point in time, I, I looked kind of just like all the other character guys. I don't think there was anything to say we can we can have room for this guy on our roster. You know, uh, I'm, look, looking back, that's how I justify it anyway. Um, I did a very similar thing. Okay, so how did you get an agent? I got an agent through, the first one I got was a professor at Penn State had a friend of a friend in the city. And, and hooked me up with them. I went through two agents early on who just weren't good fits. They were very much, um, they had too, a lot of people on the roster and I just, I couldn't find my way. And then I got the manager I have now, who's the, the only reason I'm here talking to you today, by doing a show uh, in Connecticut. I did South Pacific up there. And one of the guys in the show with me was like, so who's your agent? I was like, I don't have one. He was like, that's ridiculous. Please meet my person, an actor doing a kind deed for another actor. Maybe the rarest thing I've, I've talked about today. No, it's not. Uh, it's, it, it it's, was... not. it's not. It's getting better. Like I've gotten a bunch of my students, agents and stuff like that. But you're right. It's not the okay. first thing you think of, but I'm glad. <laughs> so you met their manager or their agent? I did. Okay. I, I met him and like lucky enough, they did not put me through the ringer at the beginning. They were like, yeah, come on and let's see what we can do. And uh, I booked a couple things. Uh, in that first year, and it's it's just been a great fit. Like, um, yeah, oh, I love the, the, that because so many people don't have that. You know, so many people, yeah. and what I and maybe it's also like especially young people. You're just so happy that somebody wants to pick you that you'll tolerate a lot of things that don't work in the hopes that you know yeah. someday. Well, and sometimes that plays off, and but I think more often than not, it it really doesn't. So, uh, by the way, I have to know where in Con- I live in Connecticut. So, where in Connecticut was that? Uh, I did Summer Theater of New Canaan. I know exactly who runs that program. That's amazing. Okay, cool. Yeah, I worked for them three times. I, I loved every second of it. South Pacific was one of those shows. I got to do Billis in South Pacific, and it's one of the only times doing theater that I thought I could do this for a couple of years. Okay, so. You haven't done, have you not done a, a lot of theater since you've been kind of in the industry? I, I haven't. We've got a four-year-old and uh, it was kind of uh, not necessarily an agreement that my manager and I came to, but I was like, I- I'm not going to go out for regional stuff. I don't really want to be away from him. And I'm kind of of the mindset that I want to stay here and and really focus on TV. And 2022 has been my best year yet. Woo-hoo! So, um, Congratulations. Yeah, I've been... I've been Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. I, I mean, appreciate that. This so, is amazing. So, like, what I want to also say is give hope to people who are character actors and maybe not even like, because a lot of times people think of character actors as like super obvious character actors, a la, <laughs> I don't know, like John Candy or uh, I don't know, whatever. But there are characters, everyone who's That's not, really basically, everybody, yeah, who's not an ingenue is a character actor, basically. And you can do it in, in you know, after you're 20. It, it, do, it might get easier for you. And also, you work your ass off to, what I'm getting from this interview with you is like, you prep, you you do all your things. So I think there's sort of also this, this, misconception that character actors could just show up and be wacky. No, no, dude. Oh my God. It's a serious business thing as well. So yeah, that's what I wanted. I, I, I learned that pretty early on too, that all of this, all of these preconceived notions you have about the people at the top, not working that hard is like 
Are you out of your mind? Everybody that's here deserves to be here. You, yeah, you know, you see that they're all hard workers. It is a fantasy. It is is yeah. one hundred percent false that the people at the top don't work hard. That's bull. So your reviewing your IMDb caused me to do something I've been meaning to do for a long time, which is start watching Search Party. Oh my god, what a oh, great man. show that is! I oh just started god. watching it, so I haven't gotten to your episode. But anything can you tell us about working on Search Party? That was, uh, you'll have to look hard to know it's me because I'm in a okay. rooster costume for both episodes. Okay. Um, there's, I can't, I can't tell you how the rooster comes into play because that that would kind of spoil something if you're, if you're watching, but the people on that set were, were top to bottom, the funnest people, like the, the set was what you hope uh, a set of a comedy show would be. John Early is fucking hysterical. Uh, I just really wanted to hang out with him the the I whole love time. Him. He's hilarious. And then, uh, yeah, SB and Charles, the directors, were so were so on everybody's side. Everybody was making choices and doing stuff, and they were they were all about it. And it was it was it was an actor's dream come true. The only bad part was that in my rooster costume, I couldn't sit down, so I spent about <laughs> nine or ten hours standing up. Uh, both oh days God, could you, lean so. on working, you can lean on something. A rooster never sits, my friend. A working rooster never <laughs> sits. Come on. <laughs> That's true. A professional That's rooster true. knows better than to rest on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I should have known. Okay, this is so well, We're going to have so to wrap fun. up. But I love talking to you. This has been so much fun. Thank you for coming thank on. You. Seriously, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate what you guys do to, to get this information out to people I love. You know, talking about oh, acting. Where can we find you? So, where can so we grateful. find you on the social medias? I mean, whether or not people are still on Twitter, that's like be, be, become like a don't ask, don't tell situation. But uh, are you on yeah. platforms are you on? Uh, but I really, my wife has been on me for four years now to get on Instagram and I'm not. Oh, so well, I'm at Twitter awesome. on Nick Reynolds NYC. Great. I know. I know. No, I know, believe me, it's time to get off Twitter. So I'm going to have to start Instagram. This is another thing about, I'm like, uh, what do I? I don't have I know. Stuff you should to put go on Insta, but I have do it. Do it because it, people will find you, and you will connect people with people. Will find you, and especially all the other platforms are absorbing a ton of new users because of the whole Twitter debacle. And we will post, you know, what your new Instagram. This is your sign. You need to do it today. Make your Instagram. Okay. Yeah, we'll post easy. it. it Takes you three seconds, and we'll post it, and then people will find you there. Oh my God! That, okay, that, you gotta do it. Gotta do it. That your wife is going to be like, oh, really? I've been telling you for five years. <laughs> now you talk to two people yes. you've never met. You're going to do it, but that's fine. That is If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!